Thank you to the band. Let's hear from God's Word now as we read in Philippians. If you're visiting with us, we are working through uh, the book of Philippians, and we're in chapter 3. Tonight, we're looking at the first four verses, uh, but we'll read, uh, I think we'll read to verse 11. This is the Word of God. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, the Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. And so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And uh, we end our readings there. We thank God again for his word uh, to us. If you have a Bible, then please do open up in Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at these first four verses this evening, Philippians chapter 3. And really, um, we're thinking about works-based religion and a call to watch out So let's pray and ask for God's help as we spend some time in these verses this evening. Father, we always need your help when it comes to your word. And so we pray tonight as we gather, maybe we've been um, resting much today. Lord, would you help us to really focus, help us to listen attentively, help us to look hard at your word, and might we really hear from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a somewhat strange turn of events this evening, we find ourselves with three points, all beginning with R. I say somewhat strange turn of events because uh, for most Presbyterian ministers, that's a pretty standard bread and butter. But if you know me, then that's probably not that standard. So we've got three, um, three words, and they all start with the same letter. And uh, I'm going to tell you them now, just in case I forget to mention them on the way through. Okay, and so they're rejoice remember, and recognize. Rejoice, 
remember, and recognize. And I want you to see these three will all come under the big heading of watching out for works-based religion. Last week, if you were here, you'll know that we were thinking about friendship. We thought about how we need to be good friends. We were thinking about how we need good friends. And we thought about what a friend we have in Jesus and how he really models real friendship. And chapter 2 finishes with a call to the Philippian believers to receive Paul's good friend, Epaphroditus, with all joy and to honor him for the work that he's done. They were to rejoice at seeing him. And it seems to me that it's that theme of joy that continues the link with chapter 3. And so we reach chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. wonder, do you hear it? Paul's message to this group of believers is rejoice. That's what they're to do, rejoice. So let's flesh this out a little. Chapter 3 starts off with the word finally, and yet if you flick forward, you'll see that there's another whole chapter to come. And so, in fact, we're only really halfway through the book, and yet here it says finally. Now, maybe Maybe you've, you've heard a sermon like that before. Uh, I remember uh, as a little boy, uh, often going with my, my parents uh, to some meetings, and perhaps I'll admit I wasn't listening in the way that I should have been, uh, but what I did pick up was as soon as the, the, the speaker would say, and finally, and there I was as a little boy, I'd, I'd prick up my ears. Often maybe there'd be tea or something afterwards, and there'd be cake, and I'd be excited. I'd be thinking, right, here comes. We're going to get to the, that part, and I was very excited And um, in my childish understanding, I thought that finally meant that we were near the end. But often, we were very far from the end, maybe 15, 20, 25 minutes left, in fact. And so although even at a young stage, I I had no intention of ever becoming a preacher, I learned a really key um, tip for preaching. Never say finally unless you're about to leave the pulpit. And so my plan is not to use that this evening at all. I could be here all night. Um, so what, what's Paul doing? Is it that Paul wasn't really sure how to preach? Is it that Paul hadn't got the memo and he minces finally and then, and then thinks, oh no, I've lost half of the people. They're all thinking about the tea and food afterwards. No, I, I, I doubt that's what's going on. Now, some people suggest that it could well be that uh, Paul was uh, thinking he got near the end and then something else came into his mind and he, he continues to write. Now, that could be the case. I'm not saying that's definitely not the case. And yet, In the careful way that Paul's letters are constructed, I'm just not sure that's the likely explanation. Rather, the the same words here could simply mean something like furthermore, or so then, continuing on with the the next point. And so rather than thinking, hey, Paul, why have you not got to the benediction? We're expecting that now. Rather than getting lost in that, let's, let's realize Paul has something really important to tell us, something really important, and let's focus on what it is that Paul has to say to us. It's a message to the believers, it's a message to these brothers and sisters, no doubt, in Christ. And the message is this, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. Now, perhaps you've been coming to church for a while, and maybe this is not the first time you've heard something like this from the front, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Maybe you've heard that from a preacher, and you're wondering, what does it really mean? Well, firstly, I want you to notice that the basis for this rejoicing to take place is because of their identity in Christ. Did you spot that? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. You see, this idea of rejoicing that is spoken of here is not something that the unbeliever can do. 
They cannot rejoice in the way that is commanded here because the joy that is spoken of is only a joy that is experienced in Christ. You must be in Christ to experience this type of joy. It's a joy that's only experienced by the Christian. You see, this joy that is spoken of here is, is different than happiness. It's not the same as, as happiness. Happiness depends on someone's circumstances. When things are going well, well, then they're happy, aren't they? And the foundation for happiness is, is one's circumstantial situation. Perhaps you've arrived off the plane and you're walking through the airport and the heat hits you. Happiness. Maybe you get the house repainted and you sit down, your favorite seat, and you look around. Happiness. Maybe for some of the young people here, your school report gets lost in the post and you think, (laughs) happiness. Maybe for some of the boys and girls, it's Christmas Eve, you look out and the snow starts to fall and you think, happiness. But you cannot tell someone to be happy. You can't force them to do that. You cannot do that because circumstances lead to happiness, don't they? And so what Paul is talking about here when he says for the Philippian believers to rejoice is not a message that just says, be happy, be happy. No, in fact, if it was based on circumstances, given what we know of their circumstance, they are people who are facing the same opposition that Paul himself is facing. And so it seems that happiness, because of circumstances, very unlikely indeed. And so if this joy is not happiness, well, then what is it? Well, remember what we said, that it's important to notice that this joy comes from the fact that you have a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. That is the basis for this joy, isn't it? Stephen Lawson helpfully speaks of it like this. He says, This joy involves gladness of heart in the things of God. Gladness of heart in the things of God. You see, happiness stems from the circumstances of life in which we find ourselves. Whereas this joy comes from remembering who we are in Christ. This joy brings a gladness of of heart from considering afresh the, the benefits of being united to Christ. For when we are united to Christ, well, then we receive all of the blessings that are his. And if you glance down at verse 9, you'll see that this is where Paul ends up going in his argument. Through faith in Christ, Paul knows that before God, he is seen as righteous. What a benefit, right? That he has the same resurrection power at work in him. That one day, too, he will have a resurrected body. What a benefit. You see, this is something that should bring deep joy into our souls, isn't it? This is something that really does bring gladness of heart, no matter what our circumstances might be. And that's why Paul can call a suffering people and say to them, rejoice. And that is why Paul himself, a man who is in prison, because of his faith, can also rejoice. For he is in Christ. The joy of knowing the Lord fills his heart. You see, joy can exist when, earthly speaking, there is no reason at all to be happy. This joy is something different than happiness. And Paul's message to the believers was to rejoice. And it's the same message to us this evening. It's a message to rejoice in the Lord. Consider afresh all that you have because you are in Christ. Think of the eternal blessings that are yours in Christ. 
And as you ponder that, as you think about them afresh, does that not do your heart good? Does that not well up joy within your soul? Is your heart not filled with gladness? For surely that is what dwelling on the reality of being in Christ should bring about in us. It should move the believer to joy, a joy-filled heart. And you see, that is not a joy that can be experienced by the unbeliever. The unbeliever cannot experience this joy for they are not in Christ. Yes, they can know happiness, absolutely. But happiness is always, well, it's always unstable, isn't it? It's always unstable because in a moment, in a flash, your circumstances can change. Circumstances that cause the happiness can just be pulled from under your feet. The unbeliever can know happiness, yes, but they cannot know the joy spoken of here. I wonder, are you a believer this evening? Are you a Christian? Are you gathered here as one of God's people? If that's the case, then rejoice, rejoice. And let me say something to the unbeliever here this evening, those who are not Christians. Do you see that there is a gladness of heart, a deep-seated gladness of heart that you can have that is not linked to any earthly experience? Do you see how attractive that is? Because if your happiness is all that you have, someday it's going to be taken from you. Because all that we have in this life is temporary, isn't it? All that we have in this life is, is temporary. And there is a reality, a very real reality, that for all of us, in terms of what we have here, someday we will lose it all. We lose everything here. The second thing is remember. Remember. We see that in the, the second part of the verse, don't we? Uh, the second part of verse 1. It says, to, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. In other words, Paul is saying something here like, look, it's, it's not a problem, it's not a bother to me to write to you again, to, to, to say this to you again, because it's really important. It's for your safety that I write this. You need to know it. See, it seems that Paul has already told them what he's about to say. Maybe it's something he's taught them in person, or maybe it's something he's, he said in a previous letter. But he's going to say it again. He's going to say it again because it is important. And clearly, clearly they haven't taken it on board in the way that they should have, in the way that they needed to. You see, it seems that they have really failed to remember. And so Paul isn't scared to cover old ground. He isn't scared to go back over the same things again and again because he knows that is what they need to hear. It's for their good that he does it. Do you know that we are more like this group of believers in Philippi than maybe we think? For aren't we too so very good at forgetting? Isn't that one of our really strong points? I suppose more and more, as I preach, I realize often what we're doing is not saying something brand new from the front. If you've been coming here for a few years, you probably know lots of what we're saying. But actually, much of what we're doing is reminding, isn't it? Much of what we're doing is reminding because we are so good at forgetting. We're so good at forgetting. Boy, I know that's true in my own heart. And I'm sure if you're honest, you'll realize that's true of your heart too. We are good at forgetting. It seems that it's one of my, 
One of my most well-honed skills is forgetting. I don't even have to think about it. (laughs) And it's actually a problem, isn't it? It's a problem. Paul knows it's a problem, and that's why he's writing, and he's saying it's a problem because these Christians are failing to remember what Paul has told them, and they are being tempted to forget the gospel. And that's why it's a problem. They are being tempted to forget the gospel. They're being tempted to wander away from the gospel because it seems that there are some who have a different message. And the message that they are proclaiming is a gospel plus message. It's a message that says faith alone in Christ alone and a little bit, and a, a little bit of something else. And it's a deadly message. But Paul says, it's not hard for me. It's not hard for me to write a, a second time and let you know. But we must work hard to remember We must work hard to remember, to keep the message of Christ crucified in our minds. We must keep coming back to the fact that we are in Christ. We must keep thinking about how it is only because of what Christ has done that we are saved. He has saved us completely, completely. We did not contribute. We cannot contribute to our salvation in any way. Jesus saves. He alone saves. And you see, by continually rejoicing in Christ, what we were thinking about at the start, it's actually one of the ways that Paul knows will actually keep us safe. Will actually keep us safe because rejoicing in the Lord helps us remember the gospel, doesn't it? It helps us remember the gospel. And so remember, remember to rejoice in the Lord. Thirdly, recognize. Recognize the false teachers those who come in and seek to proclaim a different gospel. Well, it might look similar. It might even sound pretty similar. But just because it looks similar and it sounds similar doesn't mean it's the same thing. Because once we add anything to the gospel, it is no longer the gospel. And Paul knows that that's the case. And that's why he doesn't mince his words when he comes to the the warning to to look out for the false teachers. Listen again to his language. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Doesn't mince his words, does he? This is pretty hard hitting from Paul, isn't it? I think, um, I think all of us would probably recognize that calling someone a dog is not a term of endearment, as much as you might love your dog. But here it's maybe even a stronger insult than, than we might realize. It's not just that he's referring them to uh, as, a, as a dog, as a nice you know, dog you might have in your house, a wee labradoodle or whatever it might be. The, the, the word here is more of a, a wild street dog wandering the streets, maybe in packs, picking up any, um, and devouring anything that comes their way in terms of food in order to survive. That in itself is no way complimentary. <laughs> I think we, we understand that. But this term dog was also used to speak of the Gentiles. It was used to speak of those who were outside of the covenant people of God. We come across it in Mark chapter seven, and there the Syrophoenician woman recognizes what it is whenever she is called a dog. She recognizes that means that very thing, someone who is outside of God's covenant people. And here Paul is warning the believers that these false teachers are really wolves dressed up in sheep's clothing. These teachers, I don't even think, are believers. They're not part of God's people, so watch out is what his message is. 
Watch out, look out for them, recognize them. They might give the impression that they're doing good. They might look impressive or sound impressive in terms of what they're saying. It might seem ever so spiritual. They might even point to a few Bible verses. And then you're sucked in thinking, well, this surely must be how we should read and understand the Bible. But look at what Paul says. He says they are evildoers. What do they do? He says they mutilate the flesh. They are destroyers of the flesh. So it seems that they were teaching that to be a real believer, not only did you need to put faith in Jesus, but also you must be circumcised. They were taking parts of the old ceremonial law and insisting that these were still required for salvation. And they failed to see that these things pointed forward to what Christ would do. Failing to see that what Christ had done alone was what would bring about salvation. And so Paul says they are mute leaders of the flesh. And Paul's message is recognize them, look out, spot them, don't miss them. And Paul calls us to be observant, to be discerning, to look at the message, to hear the message, and to ask the question, what is it that they are pointing me to trust in? Is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? Is it Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection? Or is it something in myself? Is it trust in, in Jesus? And, or is it trust in Jesus alone? Perhaps it's Jesus and your church attendance. Perhaps it's Jesus and being baptized. Perhaps it's Jesus and the ability within yourself to, to conjure up faith. Maybe it's trust in Jesus and your family background. It must be a message of Jesus alone. Because if it is a message that you need to put your trust in yourself, even, even in the most smallest of parts, well, then it is no longer the gospel. It's no longer the gospel. This is a gospel plus message. And a gospel plus anything message is really no longer the gospel at all. The good news becomes bad news if it's down to you in any part. You see, we too need to be on our guard, don't we? We need to be on our guard. We need to seek to recognize those who come along seeking to, to lead us off the path from the gospel. And we need to be discerning to be able to spot the wolves in false clothing. And perhaps we need reminded again this evening. Perhaps we've been forgetting, failing to remember. Perhaps we've even become complacent, because this is not really a, a secondary matter, because it's a matter of the gospel. I was listening to a, a service of a, a live stream of a church service a few weeks ago, not, not overly far from here, and it was one of those services where you got more and more angry, and the reason you became more and more angry was it claimed to be a Christian service, and yet the preacher well, he talked like he was teaching from the Bible. He, he handled the Bible as if, at least, this is where he was getting his message. And yet what he did was he ripped the verses from their context, and he gave them meanings that they were never meant to have. And he called people to put their faith in things other than Christ for salvation. He really was calling people to save themselves, save themselves through their words and through their actions. And he made faith rather than a gift of God, a, 
a work that you could work up within yourself. If only you had enough faith, well, then you wouldn't get sick. If you had enough faith, your, your business would be booming. And so it was a message of save yourself, wasn't it? But it wasn't the gospel. It was a prosperity gospel, a gospel plus message, which means it's not the gospel at all. And so we need to look out, we need to recognize it, because this is a message that isn't just in far off lands, this is a message that's just across our doorstep. And so we need to spot it and recognize what it is. Look out, recognize it, spot it when it comes along, because what it offers you is something other than the gospel, other than the gospel of Jesus. You see, Paul wanted the believers to recognize any other message than the gospel. And we too need to spot it. But Paul wanted to reassure the believers that the gospel, they believed, really was the real deal. We see that in verse 3. It says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. It's ironic, isn't it? Here was these false teachers insisting on circumcision in order to know salvation. And and Paul is saying of the believers in Jesus that they are actually the circumcision, the truly circumcised of heart, because that's really what matters rather than the outward mark. It was really what was going on in the heart. That's what really mattered. They worshiped by the Spirit of God and they glory in Christ. For it was only by a work of the Spirit in bringing about rebirth that they could be transformed. It was only as a result of the work of the Spirit bringing about new hearts that they had come to saving faith. It was nothing that they had done in themselves. Nothing. It was completely trusting in Jesus and what he had done. They were not putting any trust in their flesh. None. Not in their intellect. Not in their natural abilities. Not in their family line not in their possessions or wealth or education, not in particular rituals that they had carried out or went through. No, they weren't putting their trust in any of those things. They were putting their trust solely in Christ. You see, if anyone was going to put their trust in the flesh, Paul, that would have been him. Me, that would have been me, he says. If anyone was going to put their trust in the flesh, surely it's me. Verse 4, he goes on to unpack his fleshly achievements. He says, if it was down to the flesh, then, then I would be outdoing everyone else, whatever these false teachers would demand. And yet, Paul says, in verse 8, just flick down to verse 8, he says, I count everything as loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. You see, Paul knows that if he counts his deeds, if he counts his works, anything of the flesh has value in terms of making himself right with God, well, then he is not really trusting completely in Christ. And if he's not trusting completely in Christ, well, then his hope of salvation is no longer secure. For outside of Christ alone, there is no hope. So this evening, are you a believer? Are you a believer? Are you trusting in Jesus and what he has done as the basis for your salvation? For that is the only way that we can be saved. That's the only way that we can be made right with God. And that is the only way to have a sure 
and certain hope of a resurrection life to come. Putting trust in anything of the flesh, anything that you can bring to the table, no matter what it is, is a failure to trust in Jesus alone. And it's no longer good news. It's no longer good news. It's desperately bad news, for it is not the way to God. It is not the way to everlasting joy. So put your trust in Jesus this evening. Trust in him. And if you're a believer this evening, well then hear the call. Hear the call to rejoice in Christ. Reflect on the blessings that you have in Christ. Reflect on all that is yours now and forevermore in him. And rejoice. Rejoice in what you have, for it gladdens the heart. Remember the warning. Any gospel plus message is a different gospel. Recognize those who seek to lead you astray. Wolves dressed up as sheep, for they are dogs. Let's pray. Father, for those of us who are believers this evening, we have, we have much reason to rejoice because of what we have in Christ. All we have is in Christ. Lord, might that bring great joy to our hearts, no matter what our circumstances. Happiness can come and go, and yet joy, joy can remain for those who are in Christ. For those who are outside of Christ, tonight might they recognize what it is they can have being in Christ. Tonight, might you draw them to yourself. Might they respond in faith, trusting in Christ alone. Lord, would you give us discerning eyes and ears that we might see and that we might hear, that we might recognize those who are preaching a different gospel, a gospel plus message that says, trust in Jesus plus something else of ourselves. Might we recognize it for what it is a completely different gospel. Give us discerning hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.